everybody good this morning? You guys can be seated. So glad that you're here. Um, I, I just, as I was sitting there worshiping and um, singing that song, it's one of my favorite worship songs right now, especially. Um, the bridge of that song says, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. So many of us, like, we say things sometimes we don't mean in our culture, but I pray this morning as a church that that would be the cry of our heart is that we would push aside the idols of our heart and that we would rejoice in Christ. Uh, it says, I won't be formed by feelings. And I, we, I struggle with that all the time. I hold fast to what is true. This is it, that the cross brings transformation, that I'll be crucified with you. Because the death is just a doorway to resurrection life. And if I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. This morning, that's the heart behind the message that we're going to be bringing this morning from 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection of Jesus. And so I'm not sure, I think it's probably just the Holy Spirit bringing everything together. But that song is a great rep representation of this sermon that we're going to be hearing today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to turn there, <coughs> it'll be great for, for that, for you to be able to follow along with us. We're going to go through the chapters together this morning. And so if it's your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Um, just because, uh, you know, it's, it's so good to have you here, so good to be um, with you today, just joining us in worship. Like I said before, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor at Connection Church Savannah, and it's an honor to be able to be in this in the presence of the Lord with you today. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're from, where you came from last night or last week, I'm glad you're here, and it's, it's, it's cool to see what God's doing um, in this place in the hearts of his people. And so what we've seen over the last 14 chapters, 15 chapters is um, if, like I said, if you're coming here for the first time, you're coming on the tail end of a series called Undivided through 1 Corinthians. We're on, we're on the next to the last chapter this week. Um, we'll be finishing up next week on chapter 16. Um, but what we see so far is Paul is, is following a very specific pattern as he teaches. He's bringing in <coughs> all these issues from um, division to sexual immorality to marriage to, to how you should function in a church service. And this week he's going to talk about um, the resurrection and why it's important. So what he's going to do, he's going to define these issues and then he's going to shine the light of the gospel on these issues and highlight the gospel through everything that he's teaching the first, or the, I do this every week, the Corinthians. And so Paul's teaching strategy is this. This is what it is, is the gospel is the answer to every issue that you find in your life. Going deeper into the gospel will solve your life because looking to Christ is the answer to every situation that you can find in your, in your life, in your walk. And last week what we saw was in chapter 14, we saw the Corinthian church was abusing the gift of tongues and prophecy. There was chaos. People were shouting out in a different language, and people were trying to prophesy over here and doing this. And it was all, it was all like a, they were trying to puff themselves up because look at my gifts. Look at what I can do. Look how I can do these things. And Paul, what he says is he encourages, he encourages us to use the gift of prophecy properly, the gift of tongues properly, so that the church may be built up. Humbly. And so Paul said, I'd rather speak five words to build up than 10,000. He used 10,000 as a term for infinity in another tongue. So what we see, what I love about this chapter or this book is that 1 Corinthians is, I feel like Paul could have written that to Connection Church Savannah. Uh, we have the same issues sometimes. We have issues with division. We have issues with different things in our church that we have to come around the gospel and gather and unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to pull us through. And so I think it would be just as relevant. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be. Uh, we're going to be taking, today we're going to be looking at the resurrection, as I've said before. And there's some, there were some dangerous teachings that had gotten into the church in Corinth that they kind of crept in the doors where the race, resurrection of Jesus and a lot of Jesus' miracles were not that important. And what was happening is to them, what Jesus taught and how he lived 
was more important. So you have this Jesus that they have formed that was a good teacher, but not necessarily a savior, right? And so that's an issue, right? That's an issue when you look at Scripture. And so in chapter 15, Paul is going to explain to them that the resurrection, an actual physical, physical bodily resurrection is central to every Christian. And so let's think about that today as we join in prayer. Let's pray over this word. Let's pray over our hearts today that we would be <coughs> united around the word and we would be um, open to the Holy Spirit's power to move in our hearts this morning. So God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we, we, we declare it as perfect this morning. We got it there is without error. God, your word is, is perfect for our, our, our correction, God, our teaching. I pray that you would use that today, God. I pray for the person in this room that may not know you. I pray for the person in this room that knows a lot about you but may not know you, Father, that you would just draw them closer to you this morning. God, I pray that the resurrection power that you exerted on the day that you rose Jesus from the grave would come into us and change our hearts as a church to bring us closer to you. God, I pray for a kingdom nation to be risen up in this church, God, that we would realize who we are and whose we are and what you call us to do. God, I pray this morning this word would encourage us. God, I pray that you would hide the speaker behind the cross. God, that you would get glory, God. You would increase, I would decrease, God. Your name would be made famous through what is spoken here today. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> All right, so if you've been here any amount of time, you've probably heard me say I'm a recovering Baptist, right? So um, I, I've, I've grown up in the church, and what I've noticed in the church is we talk about the death of Jesus a lot, right? We say Jesus died for your sins, right? We say that a lot. I mean, can we agree on that? We're interactive today, okay? Yes, no, okay, you're good. This means yes, this means no. We can shout out yes, and it's not in tongues, right? We talked about that last week. <coughs> so listen, we talk about the death of Jesus a lot. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We talk about that a lot, but for some reason, we tend to only talk about the resurrection at Easter, right? So I, I'm like, man, I started reading this. I'm like, you know what? That's true. Like, why is that? And so sometimes Christians even say, you know, Jesus died to save us without mentioning that he also rose for our salvation. It's, it's, it's a together thing. So it's time that we kind of redress that balance a bit and kind of understand that the resurrection of Christ is inseparable from the gospel, Okay, the resurrection of Christ is inseparable from the gospel. So for Christians, every time we gather together in, it, in, it, in the body of Christ, we gather as Christians, it's Resurrection Sunday. Okay, we're celebrating the, the resurrection of Jesus because that changes things, right? We don't, serve a, we don't serve a Savior that's in the grave still. We serve a Savior that's on the throne of heaven. And it changed, what happens is it changed the cross from a tragedy to a triumph, right? And this is the most powerful event in history of all creation. And it's time that we realize that. And, it, and what happened is it ushered in a, a new age of the Holy Spirit's activity and power in saving and transforming lives. But what's happened a lot of times is the church, we get nervous about losing control and about not being able to hold that balance. of We, we get nervous about losing the control that we, we, we kind of suppress the Holy Spirit's movement in the church. And it's time that we allow him to do what he wants to do in his church. And it, what happens, guys, is when considering if Christianity is true, a lot of you have had to go through this. You've debated. You're like, is this, is this true? When, when considering if Christianity is true, it all boils down to whether Jesus rose from the dead. It changes fear into love, despair into joy. The resurrection changes people from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 1, what does it say? It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You skip down to verse 4. What does it say? The greatest phrase in the world, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, 
made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. So the resurrection changes condemnation into celebration of forgiveness and freedom in Christ. It changes anxiety into hope that goes beyond the grave. We all have struggled with anxiety or fear in this room, right? It, the resurrection is the remedy to those things. Looking to Christ, remembering those things. Paul was faced with some in the church in Corinth that was, they were denying the future resurrection of the body. So the, this view was adopted by much of the Greco-Roman world back in that time. And so you can see, you can see an example of this in Acts 17. If you want to write this down and study it later, you can. It's Acts 17.32. Paul had preached in Athens and declared Christ's resurrection. And the, and the verse says, some sneered at him and others laughed, but others wanted to hear more. So people were laughing at him. So the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. To them, death was the end, right? Death was the end. Not much has changed, though, from the first century because you think about this. Today, the same view is held by agnostics, atheists, people who are skeptics of Christ, of the Christianity. Death is the end for them. What a terrible way to live. And guys, this skepticism has invaded the church in, in Corinthians, in the Corinth, and Paul was facing this head on. And what was so shocking to me as I was studying this was that some Christians who affirmed the bodily resurrection of Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead, had denied the future resurrections of our body. And it went against Scripture. And Paul argues that you can't have one without the other, right? You can't, and if there's, if there's no future resurrection of four believers, then Christ himself had not been raised. That's what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of this, all of this is, is pointless and worthless and you're wasting your time. Paul breaks this down into a few sections, and I just want to follow him as we read. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to go to the first 19 verses. We're just going to break this down. i got four things that I want to highlight in this chapter. So this is what it says. Paul says, Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your ground, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And so anytime you read in Scripture, I want to make something clear to you, or I'll, this is what's most important, like pause for a second and say, what is he about to say? And then listen to his next phrase, okay? Because it's very important to your faith. So look at verse 2. For I, I passed on to you as what? Most important. Underline that in your Bible. I passed on to you. Something of most importance. Some, some of your versions may say of, of first importance. It's huge. That's a big phrase in this whole chapter. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some are falling asleep. What he's doing is he's establishing credibility. He's saying, guys, what I've preached to you, I've, this is first importance. The resurrection is one of the most central things to your faith. He appeared to Paul, Peter, then he appeared to the 12 apostles, and then he appeared to 500 people. So if you don't believe me, go ask Peter, go ask one of the 12, or go ask one of the 500 people that he, that he I think, you know, I think, you know, what's his name lives down the street? He was there. Go talk to him. He can verify what I'm saying. He's establishing this credibility of, of Christ being raised from the dead. Verse 7, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, 
as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So what he's saying here is his birth was abnormal, who, whose birth was, it was unusual. He, Paul was born again on the road to Damascus, right? He saw Christ. To be an apostle, a big A apostle, you have had to see Christ. You have had to be in the presence of Christ and received a commissioning from the Lord himself. And so the 12 apostles had had that in their life over Jesus' three-year ministry. Well, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. Jesus appeared to him in a vision, blew his mind, literally knocked him off his high horse, blinded him, and that's where he was commissioned to do the work that Christ had given him. So he was born at the wrong time or born as one of unusual birth is what it says. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. What Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if you heard it from me. It doesn't matter if you heard it from Peter. It doesn't matter if you heard it from James, John. It doesn't matter if you heard it from Andrew, Bartholomew, anybody. What matters the most is Jesus and him resurrected. And what matters the most is the gospel. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And this morning, that's what we have to understand. Because as you're reading this, Paul is saying, look, I, I, it's not about me. It's not about anything that I'm doing. Like I've worked harder than all of them because I had to work harder to get to this place and to be in front of you because God has told me what I must do to suffer before him is what he says in Acts. But what I want to ask you is, like, as you're reading this, can that same thing be said about us as we're working for the gospel, to see the nations reach, to see our neighborhoods reach? Can you say that I worked harder than anyone to see Christ made famous? That's a question we need to answer today. You know, let's keep reading. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Like, I love Paul. He's so in your face. It's just my personality. I like somebody to get straight with me. You know what I mean? Like, your faith is worthless if Christ didn't raise from the dead, right? So he's, he's saying your, your, your train of thought is messed up. Oh, man, so good. Moreover, we are, found to be a, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead are not raised. So basically, your faith is wrong, we're liars, and everything we're doing is pointless, and we need to quit wasting our time. The resurrection is a huge aspect of our faith. For if the death or, if dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. There it goes again. You are still in your sins. Man. So then who have, you who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So if we're just having faith and we're, if we're just doing church for this life only, if we're only thinking about the next 50, 60 years, 20 years, however long we left we got, we're, we should be pitied more than anyone because we're worried, wasting our time doing this if Christ has not been raised and we haven't put our faith in a risen Lord. That's our heart this morning. So the first thing I want you to see based on these 19 <coughs> verses is the resurrection is central to the gospel. That's the first point this morning. The resurrection is central to the gospel. It has to be very, um, it has to be our main focus as we look at, and it'll be on the screen, I think, maybe I, I did it this week, maybe. So the resurrection is, is central to the gospel. So to kind of further, you know, push that ball down the field, the resurrection cannot be separated from the rest of the gospel. 
And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were, there are a couple of things that I want you to kind of, I want to kind of point out to you in this passage that we just read. Um, first, notice in verse 3, it said, For I passed on to you as something most important, what I also received. So what he's saying is, Paul is saying, you know, what Paul says is most important. He says, out of everything that you've heard, out of all the sermons that you've heard me preach, all the teachings that I've given you, this is most important, the resurrection. This is most important. And so, well, well, the question is, well, why is, why is it so important that we hold the resurrection so high and not allow it to become numb to us? Why? In verse 19, he kind of gives us that answer. He says, if we have put our faith in Christ for this life only, we should be pitying more than anyone. Paul says that if the resurrection didn't happen, everything else that Christianity teaches is worthless and pointless. And at its core, what happens is the gospel isn't about some new moral code, how you be better, stop cussing, stop drinking, stop doing this, stop doing that. That's not what it's about. It's not a new life philosophy. Oh, Christ was a great teacher. I'm going to follow his teachings. It's not what it's about. Or, bringing a, way of, or bring, a way of bringing your life together. Hey, my life is messed up. I need, to, I need Jesus to come put me back together, right? It's not about a new political alignment. It's not about you changing your political views. It's not about any of those things. It's not about you having a fish on the back of your car. It's not about you having a big fish with some small little fish following you behind you, your big fish representing your homeschool kids. It's not, it's not what it's about. The gospel is good news about something that God has done. That's the gospel. That, that's what makes Christianity different from all other religions. Other religions, if anywhere in the world, they teach ways of working to get to God. I got to get to this little G God on this mountain. I have to climb up, do these things, say these things, get baptized, do all these things to get to God. But Christianity at its core it's not about the things that we do for God. It's, about, it's the news about what God has done for us. Okay. Guys, the, the gospel in Jesus' day, that word, the word gospel, was not even a religious word in its time. Um, it was an announcement. Uh, the Greek word is euangelion. Is what it's, it's, I actually have that on the screen, too. It's be spelled for you. It's euangelion. And what it means <coughs> is it means good news, a message of good news, bringing good news. It means gospel. And it's where we get our word evangelism from. It's a, a good news. It's a message that's being brought. It's not something that you're supposed to um, create, treat as a religion. And what happens in response to that announcement, we respond. Because this is what I tell you. If I'm here and I'm telling you that someone died for your sins and rose again for your sins, rose again so that you can also rise again at the end of the age, that should change your life. Because yeah. if I'm saying, hey, somebody defeated death. Somebody went into a grave dead, no pulse, dead, dying, he's dead, and he rose again on the third day, that should change how you look at life, right? It should change. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I, I, I hadn't. Thank you so much. Where did you find this? Yeah, he's the real hero right there. Sorry. I don't know where that came from. I looked and looked and looked. Um, so, so if Christ really rose from the dead, which he did, he, everything in your life should change. Other religions will tell you if you obey and act a certain way, you'll be accepted. The gospel says something totally opposite, is that God has accepted you based on what Christ has done, and in response to that, I obey him. Amen. You see the difference? That's, there's a difference there. And so Paul would say down in verse 19 that we just read, <coughs> that if Christ has not been raised, everything else we do is worthless. Everything that Jesus has taught is worthless if not the resurrection had not happened. The second thing you see from this passage right here, what you see is I want you to notice that, is that Paul is talking about a real resurrection. 
a real resurrection. And, and back in my history, back in my day of, of going to church, we used to sing the song, He Lives, right? Anybody with me? Amen. He lives, he lives. Okay, and so sometimes we can kind of misconstrue that phrase to mean that Jesus is living on in his followers, but that's not what Paul means here. Paul is saying, he gives details in this, in this first part of this chapter. He says, Jesus' corpse was laid into a grave with no pulse, no breath, and where it stayed for three days. And then he came back to life. His blood vessels began to, to, to function again. His heart began to beat again. His resurrection body was uh, coming alive in that grave. And he did that in his own power. Yeah. Think about that for a second. And then what, he, what does Paul do? He brings forward three pieces of evidence. We, who needs evidence? We all need evidence. And that's what he's doing. What he's doing, he's, he says in verse 4, he gives evidence of an empty grave. You, you can't not find, you cannot find Jesus' body anywhere on this planet. Promise. The second thing he says is the eyewitnesses, the, 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 to Peter, to the 12, the 500 witnesses. And then he gives, verse 3 and 4, the evidence of fulfilled, fulfilled prophecy or fulfilled scripture. Look at the Bible. This is what the Bible said would happen many hundred years ago. Look what Christ has done to fulfill that. Paul is talking about a real resurrection, a real-life resurrection, something that happened that made cowardly people brave, something that made skeptical people have faith and believe, something that transformed the haters of Jesus like Paul into worshipers of Jesus, something that gave guilty people hope, something that caused people, families, to be, have joy in the face of death and persecution. Families were put into the Colosseum, into lion's dens, burned with oil, and put on stakes to light the streets of Rome. And people walk to their deaths with joy because they know the resurrection happened, so I'm going to be resurrected also. Amen. That's like Paul. What did he say? To live as Christ, to die as gain. Kill me. I'll be with Christ. Or don't kill me, and I'll share Christ. You can't do anything with that man, Right? It's, it's like, do so something actually happened to make these people act this way. And so people don't want to deal with this type of religion, though. It does because you can't control it. They prefer to think of religion as a preference that they can control, right? I don't really believe that. I believe this. We like the golden corral Jesus that we can add this and have the buffet style Jesus. We can add things we like and leave things we don't like, right? Okay? Paul would say before a court in Acts where he was on trial for his life. <clears throat> he knew that people were trying to kill him because of the message. He said, listen, man, I, this has nothing to do with my preference. This has nothing to do with my preference. Jesus was not my preference. I didn't want to follow Jesus. I thought they were crazy, right? I, I, it went against everything that I had previously thought about faith. It went against everything. It shattered my worldview. It, embracing Christ actually destroyed my plans for the future. It meant that I had to start all over again. I'd gone to school, and <clears throat> I've been trained by Gamaliel, and I, and I had all of this clout in the, in, the, in the hall of the Pharisees, but now I'm being persecuted. I'm being sought after. I'm being put on trial before you, but I did it all because Jesus showed himself to be alive and risen. Yes. That's why I'm here. And so one of my favorite quotes uh, is by a great name. His, his name is Wolfhart Pannenberg. Listen, if you have a name like that, you better do something great. Wolfhart Penningberg is the, is the quote. He says this, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except two things. First, it was a very unusual event. And second, if you believed it happened, you would have to change the way that you live. Can we 
Understand that? Agree with that, guys, this morning? That is a huge statement. Paul says, listen, I don't just believe that people actually rise from the dead. Uh, if, if you say, hey, I, don't, I, I have a hard time with the resurrection. I don't believe people rise from the dead. I'm not sure that's a really thing. Well, Paul would say, see, now we're talking about philosophy, what you believe, right? It doesn't matter what you believe, per se. It matters what happened. And that's what he's saying. We're talking about history, right? Something that happened. Something that people saw. We have evidences. We have people, firsthand accounts of, of people seeing Jesus rise from the dead. We see his resurrected, resurrected body with the holes still in his hands. We, we, this is something that happened. He says, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way that you live. And a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the resurrection because if it's true, it changes everything. It changes everything in your life. It means that Jesus is Lord over all, and he's in control, and not you or me. Right? And as Americans, that's hard for us to grasp sometimes, right? I want to be in control of my life, my decisions, where I go, what I say, what I do, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I raise my kids, how I love my wife. But Jesus is saying if the resurrection is true, I surrender and submit all of those things to my Lord. It means that this collection of toys that we've been working on is not that important. It, it, his kingdom matters more, and if he tells me to give away everything I own, I do it with joy because guess what? He is my joy. That's the heart. To be honest with yourself this morning, guys, like, and we can, we can be honest in this room. This is a safe place. You know, Does your life right now, I'm not talking about what you want in the future, does your life right now reflect a belief that someone rose from the dead to save you? That's a question that you need to ask yourself, man. Does your life reflect a belief that someone actually bodily rose from the dead to save you? Does how you live, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, share the gospel, make disciples, treat your spouse, how you raise your kids, what type of student that you may be, your investment in the body of Christ, the church, your investment in his mission, your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, do all those things reflect a belief that someone rose from the dead to save your life? Does it reflect the belief that Jesus rose from the dead? We can talk about this on Easter and everybody's okay. We talk about it during the year, it gets a little weird, right? But my heart today is that we would get our minds and our hearts around us that something happened 2,022 years ago that changed everything. Listen, Jesus has resurrected from the dead and the greatest evidence of our belief in the gospel is how it changes how we live. The greatest evidence of your belief is not what you say on a Sunday or what you, your attendance in a connect with. The greatest evidence of your belief in the gospel is how it changes the way you live and how it changes your worldview. Are the things that Je is important to Jesus, is it important to you? Is the nations that don't know Christ and dying and going, is that important to you? Or the, the, your neighbor that does not know Christ and has been steeped in religion his whole life, is that important to you? It has to be. Listen, it's, it's important. And so let's, let's keep reading because I can preach on that forever. That's why I have notes that says, it literally says move on. So verse 20. All right, so verse 20. Okay, I got, I got to. Verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Underline first fruits. We want to talk about that. For since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, that's Jesus. We're going to look at Romans 5 in a second. For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive, if you're in Christ. But each, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards he would, 
He's coming, those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts his enemies under his feet, because it's been prophesied. The last enemy to be abolished is what? Death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is, is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception, right? God. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. So the second thing we see in this chapter is the resurrection of Jesus guarantees ours. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees ours, right? Can we agree? Christians, right? We agree on this? So th these verses that we just read, those eight verses or so, are an incredible summary of the whole story of the Bible. So it's an incredible story, a summary of the whole story of Scripture. So the Bible, if you don't know this, consists of 66 books. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,600 years. And so, and yet, through all of that, it all tells one great rescue story. Yes. Right? And I love that. It tells how all that was lost by one man in the garden, Adam, was then redeemed by Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. That's the beauty. The first thing we learn about death from the story of the Bible is that death is our enemy. Death is God's enemy. Death is not God's ally. Death is not God's servant or even God's creation. Death is not from God. Death is anti-God. It's the absence of God. Yeah. And you see that? So when Jesus' friend, look in, you don't have to turn there, John chapter 11. You can, when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies in John chapter 11 and Jesus goes to see Lazarus, his two sisters, the first thing the sister says, Martha says when he sees, she sees Jesus is, Lord, if he'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knew that he had resurrection power pumping through his veins. So is it, but isn't that our first reaction too when someone dies in our lives? Like, Lord, we, we had like God created death just to remind us that we're not in charge. Like we had, don't, don't get me wrong, guys. God is sovereign. And that when we breathe because he allows it, Right? But, but what I want you to see here is death is not from God. Death was part of, death was never a part of his plan at creation. But look at what Paul says in verse 20. It says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Can we throw up verse 20 real quick? It says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so there's an important context here of first fruits. In the Old Testament, you can look, there was a festival of first fruits. Um, the key word in there is first fruits. And so if you look at the beginning of the harvest, the first wheat of the season that was harvested, the first grapes, the first lambs that were born into the flock, that was called first fruits. And you would offer it to God as the first fruits. And so in the Old Testament, what you see is the first fruits was the guarantee for the rest of the harvest. Like, these are our first fruits. There's more to come. So what you see is Christ's resurrection was the first of many resurrections, right. right? First fruits of those who are falling asleep is what, what it says in this chapter, meaning those who have died as followers of Jesus. You've heard, you've heard the Bible all the time talking about he's not dead, he's just asleep. She's not dead, she's just asleep, right? That's a beautiful picture of what death is if you're a believer in Christ. Yeah. He's just asleep. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection, so God didn't create death. Death originated from sin. Well, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, through one man, 
Through one man's sin entered into the world. Through one man, comma, sin entered into the world and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Because of Adam's sin, you have inherited sin in your life. If you have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, you know sin does not have to be taught. Right. <laughs> I mean, come to my house, I can promise you within a few minutes, you'll see a lot of sin coming out of my three-year-olds. Okay? They're, they're, yeah. I would, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. Just, if you have kids, you know. In the beginning, though, what happens? In the beginning, God made the world perfect without death, without disease, in perfect harmony with God. But when Adam rebelled against God, he became the door through which sin entered the world, and along with sin came death. So in separating themselves from God through their sin, they separated themselves from their source of life, which was God. And they begin to die spiritually and begin to die physically. You see this? It's a beautiful picture here. We're going to get to the gospel in a second. We'll get to the answer to all these bad things. So not only was creation affected by God's sin, but like I just said, all of his descendants were affected as well, you and me. So physical death is the penalty for Adam's sin. Where there's sin, there must be bloodshed. There must be death because there's a penalty now. And that's why Paul says, by, by a man came death. Guys, death was not a part of God's plan for his creation. Death is a separation from God. It's the absence of God. It's an enemy, an intruder. It's anti-God. It's anti-life. It's anti-creation. And that's why Jesus weeps at Lazarus' funeral, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few moments. Why was he crying? He weeps over the tragedy of death because death is the absence of God. And he's reminded in that moment of what sin cost everyone. Death is the absence of God. And Adam and through Adam, all humanity, were separated from God. And that's why we die. That's why we have death. We die because we're disconnected from the source of life. I think about it like this. It's like drowning. It's not the water that kills you. It's the lack of oxygen. Right? The water doesn't kill you. It's the lack of oxygen. But there's good news. There's good news in this. Death is a defeated enemy because of Christ. Listen to that this morning. Verse 22 says, for just as Adam all die, so also. Man, listen to that. So also. We got verse 22 that we can throw. I'm sorry, man. I'm working them hard today. For just as in Christ all die, so also. Those two words, so also, are so important. In Christ, all will be made alive. What hope is that we have in Christ? Paul explains that just as death came through Adam, so also the resurrection of the dead comes through Jesus. And at Jesus' resurrection, Jesus defeated death on our behalf. That's the beauty of the gospel. What one man lost, another man redeemed. The monster that the first man let out the cage at creation is defeated by the second man, Jesus. That's the beauty. So the story of the Bible is about how Jesus becomes a man to restore us and the rest of creation to what God has intended when he created us. That's the, the whole story of the Bible from Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation about how Jesus has this big, great rescue mission planned for us. From Genesis 3 to, to Revelation 20, that's what the Bible is about. Because up to Revelation 3, or Genesis 3, and from Genesis, uh, Revelation 20 to 21 and 22, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect story. And I love it. This morning, guys, as we're reading this together, verse 22 is the story of the Bible in one sentence. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. That's a summary of the Bible for you Amen. in one verse. So 
To save us from death, God sent his son to suffer death in our place. I'm not saved because of who I am, how often I read my Bible, how often I pray, or how many good deeds I do. I'm saved because of who he is and what he's done. That Jesus, just, just as everything that was true of Adam became true of us because we sinned. Now, listen, this is what Christians forget, and they miss it. Just as, just as everything is true of, of you that was true of Adam, you're a sinner. Just as that, you, everything is true about Jesus now is true of you if you're in Christ. We have a problem receiving that second one, right? But we can say, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. We, we, we can receive that. Right? But this is just as true. I'm also redeemed, sanctified, and I'm going to be glorified one day. We have a problem receiving that. But guys, it's time that we start living in our kingdom reality of who we are in Christ. Listen, just as everything was true of Adam became true of us, everything that is true of Jesus will also become true of us at our resurrection while we're living here because of what God's done through us. So one man's sin condemned me to death, and one man's obedience and resurrection gives me eternal life. That's something to rejoice in. That's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15, this whole chapter, and, and why Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection because Jesus defeated death. We have access to that inheritance. Because Jesus defeated death, we have access to the inheritance that Jesus had. That's the beauty of what the Bible teaches, guys. Because Jesus physically rose from the dead one day, if you're in Christ in this place, you will rise from the grave. It says in the Bible. Let's keep reading. Verse 29. It's time to move on again. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are you people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day. As surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters in Christ our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do for me? So verse 32, I can't read past. I was reading that this way. I was like, Wait, Paul fought wild beasts in Ephesus? Let's think about what? Okay, it just might just be me. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Might, might be how he had a thorn in his flesh. I don't know. Um, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, and tomorrow we die, right? If, if the dead are not raised, if the resurrection is not true, let's just do whatever we want to do. Let's just indulge in sin. Let's just do all these things. Let's, let's forget about church and the, the body of Christ. Let's just go out, eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company cor corrupts good morals. This is actually a quote from a Greek poet. His name was Menander, which is an unfortunate name. So his, his readers in this point, his readers would have understood what he's saying here because he, they would have been very familiar with this poet in the time. And so this is not necessarily quoted from Scripture. It says, bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. Now, some people in your midst are ignorant about God because of the way that you're living. <laughs> Think about that. Some people in your life or my life may be ignorant about God because of the way that I'm living in light of the resurrection. If I was living in light of the resurrection, people would not be ignorant of God because I could not shut up about God and what he's done in my life. So the third thing that we see in here is what I want you to see is the resurrection motivates the Christian life. The, the resurrection motivates the Christian life. Paul's conclusion here is obvious. When you read this, it's like, why be a Christian if all we have in this life is suffering and no future glory to look to? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of Christians that live this way. That the resurrection is not just 
important. Paul says it's of first importance because all that we, all that we believe hinges on that. So the resurrection motivates Christian life. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11. It, it, it'll be on the screen. It's, it's, it's one of the great examples of, 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 of what Paul is talking about here. He says, and the biggest word in, the, in this paragraph is if. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If it does, because it might not. If you're not a Christian, you may just be playing this game. If it does, though, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. Listen, that's, a good, that's good news, guys. And sometimes in the church, we forget, hey, that's good news. We can, get, we can get excited about that. We don't have to live so reserved in that. We can be rejoicing that and, and, and celebrating that together. We can start talking about denominations again. We'll break out tambourines this week. Get I'm just kidding. I'm playing. Here's my Pentecostal side. This is my more conservative side. Love it. Y'all keep doing what you do. I love it. So my heart today is this, guys, that we would live like we believe this. That we would live, a, um, uh, this, is, this is from, uh, never mind. So John MacArthur, he said this one time. He said, the resurrection is the grounds of our assurance. It is the basis for all of our future hopes, and it is a source of power in our daily lives here and now. It gives us courage in the midst of persecution, comfort in the midst of trials, and hope in the midst of the world's darkness. Guys, that's, that's it. It's the basis for our future hopes. It's the source of our power in our daily lives here and now. How many of us are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection being true in our life? Because what Paul is saying, if you believe the resurrection is true, you believe Christ is who he says he is, your life is going to be described as powerful through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus working in you, doing through you, what you can't do in your own ability. That's actually the definition of grace. God's going to grace you with these abilities to, to do what he's called you to do. Guys, if you're in Christ, I want to tell you this morning, you may not have lived like it. You may have believed it lie of the enemy, but you have been changed by Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is alive right now on a throne, and because of that, Christians are also alive in a whole new way while you live on earth. You're not waiting until you die to get to heaven. You're living kingdom and, and heavenly culture here now. We're called to do that together. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in every true believer. So the question has to be asked. If that is true, and we don't see that reality in church, is, is, is the wheat and the tear, is, is the ratios more than we thought? Because there's, there's a parable in Scripture that talks about the wheats, the wheat and the tear, like the weeks and the tears, the, 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 the true believers and the people who are playing games in the church and not truly coming to Christ. They're just, they're just associating with God. God says, God, God, he uses the parable and says, wait till the end to collect the tares. So we won't know until the end. But our heart today is that we would all be wheat. We'd be growing and produce fruit. So today, that's our heart. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in us. God wants us to not just to believe in Christ's resurrection, but also to be transformed by it and to receive the power to live the way that he lived. That's the beauty, man. God, and Paul echoes this in Philippians 3. Philippians 3 is probably my favorite chapter of the entire Bible. I love it. Paul um, wrote in Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. He says, my goal is to know him. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. My Lord. 
assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's go back to verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Resurrection power is something that can be known. My goal is to know him, to know God, and also to know the power of his resurrection in my life. The fellowship of his sufferings. He's saying, I want to share in Christ's sufferings. Who's prayed that this week? I want to to share in Christ's persecution so I can experience the resurrection. I promise you that ain't on a lot of people's prayer list. You know what I mean? It's important that we see that. Resurrection power is something that can be known. In fact, it says this is Paul's goal. And it's his motivation in life according to verses 29 and 34 in 1 Corinthians 15. Like throughout the Bible, you look from Genesis all the way to the end. The greatest aim of everyone that you read about in Scripture, all the heroes of the Bible, the greatest aim of their life was to know God, not to know about God, not to know facts about God. It was to know God. It wasn't to know about God or about resurrection power. It was about to know him, to be that gnosko. That's a Greek word for know. It's an intimate love for God. It's the same word that they use in the Bible for intimate love with a spouse. You know her physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. He's saying to know God down that level and the power of his resurrection. According to Paul, this power generally works during suffering, right? The power of God works most during our suffering or trials or persecution. It works as I know him and I'm on mission for him. You start seeing that happen. You wonder why a lot of miracles and all these things happen overseas because people are living on the edge of death, but they need Jesus. God, if you don't move, I'm going to die. And I'm okay with that if that's what you want to live as Christ dies game, but I need you to move so these people can know you. They're living on mission. This is why when Jesus said, go and make disciples, what did he end the whole thing with? I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples and I'll be with you. He didn't say, go make disciples, and I'll come back and check on you later. No, I'll be with you every step of the way with resurrection power to give you, to be able to speak the things I want you to speak, to do the things I want you to do, to glorify and highlight the gospel that is you're going to share. That's, that's the call. And a lot of times we get so disappointed, we're asking for God's power to work over here. We're asking for God's power to work over here, and he has the power, and we'll do those things. But when we separate ourselves from the mission, sometimes we separate ourselves from the power. And it's important that we see that it leads us to this question. Are we positioning ourselves in places where we need God's resurrection power to work in and through us? Or are we in trouble? Or are we not? Because this is what Paul, this is the way Paul lived. When he saw Christ resurrected, everything changed. I, I'm on mission for you now. There's nothing else that makes sense. Nothing else that makes sense in this life. The resurrection of Jesus means that I live differently. Not only that, it means that I have the power to do so because of Jesus, right? That's the beauty. So in Christ, guys, I'm sorry to tell you, especially after the last two years, the things that I've learned is that we're done living safe. There's been a line drawn in the sand by Jesus himself, I feel like. Choose this day who you'll serve. Choose this year who you'll serve. Is it me in light of the resurrection? Or is it you, that, because it's safe to live more on the religion side of the tracks? My heart would be today that as a church, we were done living safe. We're done doing things that make worldly sense. Our only motivation has to be to obey and honor our king. That has to be how we live. In Hebrews chapter 12, probably my second favorite chapter of the Bible, um, it's hard to pick favorites, you know. 
It ends with this. The writer of Hebrews says, For the joy that lay before him, for the joy that lay before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the same way, in the same way for the joy that is set before us in the resurrection, we endure the cost of living for Christ. For the joy set before us in the resurrection, we endure the cross, uh, the, the, the cost of living for Christ, guys. The resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of all Christians that is coming was the sustaining power of Paul's life in suffering and, and, and for his love for his persecutors. He loved the people that were persecuting him. He prayed for them to receive Christ and know Jesus. Man, is that something that comes easy? No. Man, Luke 14, Jesus calls, calls us to count the cost. Count the cost of following me. But I want to tell you this right now. The answer to the counting the cost is it is worth it every time. Every time that you count the cost and you see Christ crucified, dead, resurrection, 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 resurrected. That's it. Bad language, sorry. Probably a bad profession, right? Um, it's worth it every time. It's worth it every time. And so this morning, guys, as the band comes back to lead us in one more song, my heart will be to, to know that the last little section of this, of this chapter in verse 50 to 58 is, is probably one of the, the most used um, verses for Easter. But I want to tell you that's not what it's, that's not its only purpose. It's for the here and now too. And so let me read this for us. <clears throat> He's concluding this chapter on the resurrection. He says this. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. What are you saying? I'm going to clarify you in simple terms, everything that I just said. Here's the clarification. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That means you'll have a, a resurrection body. You'll have a new body, and we will be changed for this corruptible body must be clothed with uncorruptible. Guys, you cannot enter God's presence in the current state that you are in. You need to be redeemed fully, spirit and body. You need a new body. That's what Jesus had when he re revealed himself to the, to, the, to the 12, to Peter, to the 500. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will, be, will take place. This is from Hosea 13. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Guys, those words should penetrate our hearts this morning. No matter what you're going through, no matter how many struggles that you're dealing with, no matter how much oppression that you're walking through, no matter where you're at, Christ has won the victory on the cross and coming out of the grave. He has won the victory for your life. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to get a literal translation of what 56 says, it says, thanks be to God who keeps on giving us victory. That's the literal translation. Who keeps on on giving us the victory. He keeps reminding us of our victory because of Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He comes to this church in chapter one. There's divisions, chapter two and three and four. He brings, he talks about the divisions, five, six, and seven. He talks about the marital relationships and sexual morality that was happening. In the, the rest of the chapter, he goes in and talks about the Lord's Supper and about the way that worship services should be run. But he says, this is of most importance, is that you would know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the last thing that we're going to close with today is the resurrection is a sign of our victory in Christ. The resurrection is a sign of our victory in Christ. So for the Christian, the resurrection of Jesus means our victory over death. Guys, that's a good thing. Our resurrection, or Jesus' resurrection means our victory over death. Paul's saying, because of that, stand firm in victory. Don't live a weak life. Let nothing move you. Let nothing scare you. When you think about yourself or loved ones dying, when it comes to mind, sing, sing with Paul. A lot of verses of the scripture say Paul sung this to the Corinthians. He's saying, sing this out. He wrote this in kind of a, he wrote this in a melody form. He said, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I have Christ. I have Christ. I'm living in the light of his resurrection. Rejoice because the last enemy has been defeated, which is death. You're living in the reality of the resurrection. Through faith in Jesus, you will live forever in his love. And because of what God has accomplished in your life through the resurrection, guys, be steadfast, be consistent. Be a part of the body. Come to the gathering of the church. Come to the, whenever the church gathers, come and be a part of those places. Be a member of the church and, and work to see his name made famous in your communities. Be unmovable, always excelling in the good work, the Lord's work. Because no matter what the enemy throws out you, even to the point of death, nothing can outshine the victory that God has won for you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So today, there are Christians in this room right now that know Jesus, that are believers in Christ, that have let life get them down. They've let life wear them down, just constantly wearing them down over and over. Struggle seems to be the only way that you live these days, the new norm. Maybe you've allowed life to dull the beauty of what God has done through the resurrection. Maybe the constant barrage of oppression or temptation or struggle has constantly worn away at your faith in Christ. Guys, let's refocus our gaze on the resurrection. Let's refocus our gaze on the resurrection because that's what's going to give us power for the mission. That's what's going to give us power for making disciples, for being a church that makes a difference on this planet. Guys, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're here and you know that you're not a believer in Christ the way that the Bible teaches it, I'm not saying you don't come to church or you don't pray or whatever. I'm saying that you may not be a Christian the way the Bible describes it. Guys, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, believe in his word, which promises victory over death. Believe that he was crucified. Believe that he died in your place to suffer the punishment that was due you. Believe that he rose from the dead three days later and was victorious over death. Believe that he's coming again for his people. Believe that he loves you and, can, and nothing can separate you from his love. Trust in Jesus and you'll be saved from sin and death to live a new life of righteousness and hope through faith in Jesus. That's the heart of the church, man. Repent, turn from your sin, believe, and you'll be saved. Guys, death is dead. Believers have one trust in Jesus. Make it official, man. If that's you this morning and you don't know Christ, my heart would be that you would come to a saving knowledge of who he is. 
I'm not saying some religion where you go to church and you kind of go through the motions of going to church, but you have never turned the control of your life into the direction of God. You've said, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm going to keep this over here. That, that probably means you're not saved. You're not giving control to God. Give it all to him this morning. This morning, if you know that you're not a Christian, you're still living um, under the control of the enemy. You're still in enemy territory. God has sent a rescue mission, a, a church after you. That might be why you're here this morning, to see you saved. The gospel is that you know, God made Jesus sin for us so that we can live in righteousness, so we can become the righteousness of God. God was on a th- Jesus was on a throne in heaven, the ruler of all creation. He came down into creation. Can you imagine perfectness of heaven, him coming down into creation to live a life that I was called to live, but I couldn't because of my sin, because of what I inherited from Adam. He lived that perfect life, endured all the temptations that I, you and I would endure. And then he died on the cross, but probably the worst thing about it was in the garden whenever God removed his presence from Jesus. Whenever he was sitting there, God, let this cup of wrath pass from me. God, let, let your, prayer, your presence come back because I can't handle not being in your presence. Because Christians, we have become too accustomed to not living in God's presence. It's time that we come back into the presence of our Father and let him, and let him mend our broken hearts, mend our broken lives. And then whenever Jesus saw in Hebrews 12, we just read it, for the joy that was set before him on the cross, he endured the shame, he endured the pain, he endured it all because he saw what was coming on the other side of that cross and that was you and I living with him and having that inheritance of seeing him glorified, worshiping his name, honoring him forever. And our heart would be that we would see that if we're in Christ, we would have that same resurrection at the end of our life, at the end of the time, but also we would have the same heart for other people. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus that way, and you know today, hey, that's me. I need to make that decision today. We would love to pray with you and walk with you through some of that. But it takes a bold step to step in. Repentance is hard. Returning from your sin and towards Christ, it's a hard step because what happens is you're releasing that control and you're giving it to God. So this morning, if that's you, we want to walk with you. If you know today that today is the day of salvation where you come into the presence of God saying, I got all of me for all of you. I don't know all the details, but I want to follow you. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand and let us pray with you this morning? It's the day of, the day of salvation for anyone in this room. I don't care if you're a leader of this church. Could be anybody. Great. These offers are saved, making disciples. Fired up, right? So Christians in the place, are we living a life that says we follow a resurrected Savior? Do we live a life where we need God's resurrection power to sustain us and empower us? Or or have we padded our life to the point where it's safe and secure and doesn't require much faith? Do we want to live lives like we see Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 15? Absolutely. On mission, it's going to take a focus on the risen Savior to do that. To see him, to see him resurrected in our hearts, to know that he is who he says he is. And so this morning, if that's you, I pray that you would come to a prayer team member just to pray with you. Come to this altar and get right with the Lord this morning and don't leave here the same way you came. I pray that you would have a shot in the arm to remember the resurrection of Jesus means a resurrection for you, and it means power in your life to do the things he's called you to do. So if that's you this morning, don't stay in your seats. Be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Don't listen to me, listen to him pray for you. And as I pray, you come. Father, we love you. 
we, we worship you, we adore you, we thank you for the cross, we thank you for the, the beauty of the cross, we thank you for what it means, Father, to us. I pray, Father, for the freedom of the cross, the resurrection to come over this place, Father, right now in Jesus' name. God, that we would have an experience of knowing you in a, in a new way, God, in a way that um, just uh, supersedes our understanding, Father. I pray that you would work in this next song as we talk about King Jesus, Lord, that you would be our King, the King of our hearts, God, not just in word, God, but in action. God, I pray for the person in this room that um, they may be saved, God, but they're not living like you're their king. They're not living like you've raised from the dead, Father. I pray that you would bring them to their knees in repentance, God, and you would bring them to their knees in love and in mercy and grace as they see your love and grace poured out for them. God, let us be a church that lives in power of the resurrection. God, let us be a church that lives in the humility that that brings. God, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, God, because you're the only one that deserves all the glory and all the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.